This is Alex. I'm from Boston. Hello, this is Jackie, and I'm from Houston. Hey, this is Rahul from Stanford. And we are the Premier Chess. Hello, Chelsea fans. It has been a brilliant, brilliant day, and dare I say, a brilliant, brilliant month. We have Alex back today. Rahul, Alex, welcome back, guys. How are you guys doing? Doing really well. I'm excited to be back here, especially uh, with with things going in a pretty good direction for Chelsea. So far, so good, I would say. And I think this episode is going to be a little special. Rahul's brought out some special props. He's going to use some maybe explicit language. I don't know. We'll see when we cross that bridge. But Rahul, how are you doing? How are you feeling about today and maybe January overall? Sorry, I was just sipping on our haters' tears right there. Um, no, look, it's been it's been an interesting forty eight hours. The last time we spoke to Ben, um, you know, we were wondering what was going to happen. We were anticipating something happening. Since then, we've been on a roller coaster of it's happening, it's not happening, it's happening, it's not happening. Uh, but it has it seems like it has happened. It hasn't been announced, so I could still I could be the one crying tomorrow. But um, at this point, it's all all tears of joy and happiness because we finally gotten Enzo over the line and, and brought in a marquee signing to kind of wrap up this window. And um, I'm sure we'll get into how much we've spent over the last eight, nine months. But at this point, it's exciting to be a Chelsea fan. It's a great time to be a Chelsea fan. Uh, but there is a little bit of a dark cloud in my mind around the fact that we are spending a lot in one Less than a year, really. So, um, but right now, super excited, super, super happy, looking forward to the future, and it's looking very bright for us. It is looking bright indeed. I'm going to have you, you know, taper the pessimistic thoughts towards the end of the podcast. Let's be a little positive for now. Alex, we've done a lot of business. I think probably the most business I've seen Chelsea do in a single transfer window, both in terms of numbers, maybe, and financially overall as well. What are your thoughts so far? And I mean, other than Enzo, is there anybody else that sticks out? And we'll kind of go through the list in a few minutes here. Yeah, well, I think obviously it's it's nice from a Chelsea fan point of view. I see some fans complaining about it, but I think most Chelsea fans with any sense are just thanking the Lord that we have an owner who is backing us, uh, who is threatening True. perhaps to back us even more heavily than Roman has at times. I mean, this is what is this his second transfer window uh, in yep. control of Chelsea? Or, I mean, I, I believe I saw a stat somewhere, and it sounds outrageous, but <laughs> supposedly they said that we outspent all of Europe's top five leagues combined, like Chelsea as a club, which I think is absolutely brilliant. I too am <laughs> sipping on the haters' tears, and I am really excited to see these guys, especially if we can get Felix on a permanent transfer. That is really my dream because I think he wants to stay in London and I, I, I was iffy on him. Uh, and now suddenly I'm in, I'm in full support of the Galacticos part two that uh, Todd Bowley is assembling. So bring it on. Listen, cheers to all the Chelsea fans out there. Cause this has been a wonderful transfer window. I have my reservations, but like I said, I'll save that towards the end of the podcast. Let me run through the signings so far. Obviously, we know Enzo. Hopefully, that's sealed and dealed today. 121 million euros. It's the Premier League transfer record right there and one of the highest for a midfielder in general. So 
the Chelsea team really must be backing this boy to go and be something big. But other than him, we've strengthened in other areas as well. Nani Madueke coming from PSV for about 35 million euros. Uh, Mudrik, I think that was the excitement last week, and that's kind of over the hill right now, but about 70 or 80 million euros from him as well. Jao Felix on, on loan for about 11 million. Benoit Badiashil, maybe we're not talking enough about him, but 38 million, he's transformed that defense already. Uh, Andre Santos, maybe one for the future. I'm hearing that he might get his work permit. He might come into the first team, so we'll see that in a little bit. Uh, David Datra Fofana, a lot of people thinking he's going on loan. He's staying right now, especially with the injuries and the short of strikers up top. A total of about 300 million so far, and I'm not even talking about Christopher Nkunku, who has not formally been announced, but coming in the summertime. And probably the biggest one Chelsea fans were calling for, a right back or a right wing back in Malagusto, who has also been signed and loaned immediately back to Lyon. I think it was about 30 million or so. Rahul, I'll come to you first. We went through a lot of names there. I think Boli spent well over 500 million in two transfer windows. Just break it down to me how you're feeling. Uh, again, it's exciting, right? Because you look at you look at all these players and you say, yeah, they're young players, they're names that we may not have heard of, especially with the likes of maybe Enzo Fernandez a year ago, uh, Mudrik a year ago, Madueke a year ago, and all of a sudden here they are wearing the Chelsea blue. Um, and there's a clear strategy and approach to this, unlike Jamie Carragher saying that, you know, Chelsea is just going scattergun and, and just going after any, anybody and everybody. There's a clear, clear strategy that we're going for players under 22, 23, uh, and we're investing heavily in them. I mean, you look at that list you just mentioned. Enzo is, I think, 22. Uh, Mudrik is about 21, 22. Fofana is 19. Andres Santos is like 18. So... There's a, a good mix of young players, and, and it makes Enzo Fernandez look a little bit older when you think about some of the other guys that have come in. But it's investing in the future, and it's putting players in place now so that they can settle in maybe the rest of the season, going into the summer, and then still hit the ground running you know, next season, for the next eight seasons in some cases. Um, but it's clearly a strategy that the ownership group thought off when they first came in. And I think last summer it was more about, all right, let's get players in for Tuchel. Let's get him a defender because we lost Rudiger. Let's get him a winger because we need some creativity in, from, you know, from that part of the field. But now it's transitioned over and it's let's bring in players that we know will be here for the next 10 years and maybe be part of the spine that we talk about. Uh, that we've seen as Chelsea fans of Petr Cech, John Terry, Frank Lampard, Drogba. We're working towards building that. And of course, there's a risk that, you know, things don't work out and some of these players don't work out. But you have to work towards something. You have to put pieces in place right now and let them kind of fall in place and, and see how things evolve over time. So, look, I'm excited as a Chelsea fan for the most of 2022 hearing that you're going to disappear you're not going to be in existence. Daddy Roman's leaving and you're going to be broke. We're still here. We've outspent, like Alex said, majority of Europe. We've outspent majority of our rivals in the Premier League. And yes, that is something that will have to slow down. But look, there's all the pieces are in place. We just have to get them right. You have to clear out some of the players that may not end up staying because you don't want a... a unsettled dressing room but look i'm excited a couple more pieces in place i sound a little greedy here saying we need a few more pieces uh but a few more pieces in place and i think we're we're as as alex says we're cooking 
We are cooking indeed, and I'm just going to sit back and see what bubbles after this and what we kind of get to see in the next year or two. But, Alex, I look back at it and I say, eight and a half years, yes, we want a spine. Yes, we want some stability. How do you feel about this pathway that they're going down with long-term contracts? I understand on the back end, on the accounting side of the house, you get to spread the cost. It means Chelsea's all kosher with FFP and all that, which is great. But how do you feel if a player is stuck on a contract and maybe they're not going to be the player that we expected them to be or they're on high wages and now they want to stay with us for eight and a half years or they're fantastically brilliant and we have the power here in saying you're on low wages technically and we don't want to give you for sale or increase your budget there. Just break that down for me and your feelings overall. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously there's always a balance to be looked at and you have to be careful. Um, you can't sign every player. Uh, we certainly, if you took all our recent signings, there have been quite a few that haven't worked out and we're probably very happy that they're not on eight and a half year contracts. <laughs> um, but I mean, I, can you imagine if we had Lukaku on an eight and a half year contract? I mean, it's already tough now. Um, <laughs> but I think that's somewhere that you just have to trust that as much as people are coming in and saying, oh, Todd Bowley and everyone, they're spending, they're just being stupid, they don't understand the game. Todd and, and his friends, they they know sports, they know business. The, the, the Chelsea owners are not doing this blindly, they're not doing it randomly. I'm sure they're thinking these things through in terms of the accounting, um, in terms of the contract length and how that binds the club legally. Um, I think as much as people want to point at Chelsea and say, this is crazy, this can't work, we as fans just have to sit back and accept that these guys know business, they know how to run teams, they know how to manage money. Um, and I think hopefully with the recruitment that we're seeing where these, yes, maybe we hadn't heard of these players, say, a year or two years ago, but these are players that other teams are really wanting. This isn't plucking random talents out of nowhere. I mean... We've seen the memes about Todd Bowley hijacking all these different transfer deals. These are big name in demand players. And I, I like to see us taking a gamble on the next crop of talent. Yeah, I mean, you guys have broken it down really well. And honestly, I, I look back and Rahul, you chose the word scattergun. And I know it's not your word. It came from the pundits or even Jamie Carragher in most recent times. But if you said that in the summertime, I could maybe believe you a little bit, but I think you guys have broken it down well. Long-term contracts, everybody under age of 22, positions that, frankly, I think most Chelsea fans would agree that we've needed, especially securing somebody for the middle of the park and right back. I think everybody else, while it remains to be seen, is going for the more attractive, free-flowing, scoring kind of team that we've been trying to build with Roman Abramovich for more than 20 years. And maybe now's the time. Again, I don't want to get too excited. This time last week, the marquee signing was Mudrik, and we were probably going to talk a lot about him. But Rahul, I think you've pre pre prepared some stuff on Enzo. I think your name in this room today is Rahul Enzo Fernandez. So you're definitely excited. Maybe you can share some details on Fernandez. Yeah, look, I haven't been this excited since we signed Torres in 2011 uh, on deadline day, and he came through. Uh, and, you know, we know how that went. But, hey, he won the Champions League with us. So if Enzo wins one, two. <laughs> we'll be we'll be the only London team with three. But uh, coming back to Enzo, he arrives, you know, at Stamford Bridge with only 17 league games in Europe, guys. He moved uh, from Argentina last year in July to Benfica. Uh, he's kind of found his way into the Benfica 11. 
uh, helped them finish top of the Champions League group uh, ahead of PSG and Juventus. So um, it's obviously a team effort, but he plays a critical role in that team. Uh, he won the World Cup with Argentina. He becomes the most expensive Argentine, Argentine player uh, in the world. And you would think that would be something that Messi would you know, be holding. But this is something that Enzo at this young age uh, has the title. And yes, you can talk about is it pressure? Is it something that he has to now learn to live with? Uh, but look, he's he clearly has the mentality of a winner. He has the mentality of someone that can deal with pressure uh, most likely looking at the World Cup where he was the heartbeat of that team and ends up being uh, the best young player at that tournament. So, again, we've signed a player that has a lot of potential, and I'm a little bit concerned by the fact that we, we will have to throw him into that midfield just because we don't have any numbers there. Uh, but, again, I believe and I, I truly see that he has the character and the mentality to to make it and just not worry about the fee, what people might say. Um, and just go for it, which is what we want to see. And um, he plays currently in a defensive kind of midfield of three on the left side, uh, but he likes to control the tempo of the game, and, and that's seen by his 109 passes per 90 minutes. Uh, he has the ability to play it over the top, keep it short, kind of you know get back into defense, clear up, anticipate. So um, he's. I want to go out on limb and say he's a good mix of Jorginho, Kovacic, and Conte, which is something that all three of them have their their strengths and weaknesses, but he seems to have all of their strengths. And I'm sure we'll learn some of the weaknesses, but with this, a good team and structure, uh, I think we're we're in for some good times. Well done to break that down. I think I have to be very honest. A lot of Chelsea fans were excited for Enzo and I think I'm excited of the idea of Chelsea finding a player to fill in a midfield role, but I, I don't know much about him. So you've done a fantastic job of giving a little background there. Alex, any worry spending that much money on a young man that's really only been in Europe and at the highest level in Europe for six or eight months now? Yeah, I mean, you'll always worry about that, I suppose. But at the end of the day, I feel like whether or not a signing is young whether or not they've made an impact in Europe before. I mean, Rahul was talking about Torres, for example, a player at the absolute top of his game, who I'm sure no Chelsea fan, if you asked them at that moment in time, would have said paying for Torres is going to end up being a mistake. And now, was it a mistake? Could could you could you look at his uh, Champions League uh, assistance towards us? Um, I still think that was worth it. But overall... Bringing in a player who's a veteran or who's proven themselves, so to speak, does not guarantee success. Um, we watched Jack Grealish struggle after moving to a City for a crazy sum of money. I mean, that's why I guess I'm a little, I'm a little more open-minded, maybe to some, at splashing this sum of money on a player because at the end of the day, you're looking at talent. Experience will come with the games to follow. Um, coaching can be done on any player who's open-minded at the end of the day, you're buying talent. And I just as soon pluck a really promising young talent who could have many years ahead of him with us. If things go well, hopefully um, I just as soon spend the money on that because it's always going to be a gamble. And we've seen some very big names. I mean, again, our friend Lakaka comes up to mind as someone who at the time, every Chelsea fan said, look, he's expensive, but we know what we're buying. 
uh, we've seen his ability. He could really take us to the next level, and we saw how that turned out. So, yeah, and I guess to sum it up for me, I think spending that amount of money on any player is risky, and I'd just as soon do it on someone who uh, the scouts and now the majority of the world uh, is in admiration of. No, that's a good point, and I think we need to talk a little bit about the scouting as well. Rahul, I'll come back to you. Look at the team overall and the players that we've managed to lure to Chelsea. We're not doing so good at this point in the Premier League. We're out of the couple of cups that are local. We are going to see what we're going to do in the Champions League, but we managed to attract some of good young talent. But not only that, I think we've been calling for a long time to find that talent before somebody else gets them. Now, I don't know if I can speak so much for Mudrik and Enzo Fernandez. Maybe those were at the high end of the budget, but maybe Datra Fofana, Andre Santos, maybe even Badia Shiel. I don't think it was too expensive for what we're seeing so far. What do you make of the scouting so far of these players overall? And do you think now with that scouting team, and I'm sure there are more to come in place, it seems like Chelsea are moving towards maybe the profile of player that we are looking for? Absolutely. I think, you know, we've made some big signings and that's what the media is going to cover and talk about. But like you mentioned, Fofana, Santos, Badiashile, Gusto uh, from, you know, for the for the right back position. We've made some smart signings. We've made some signings where we went in and said, uh, we need to address these positions. Why don't we look at the up and coming talent? And of course, there's a risk with the with the youngsters, right? You They need time. They need to adjust and all of that. But in past, we would have said, well, why don't we go buy a Zappa Costa from Syria? Uh, because he's been, you know, he's been a little more matured. Or we'd have said, why don't we go buy a drink water? Because he knows the Premier League. Uh, now we're looking around. And, and I think it goes down to the people that are being hired behind the scenes uh, by Boli and Iqbali and, and the ownership group. Uh, and I know they want to follow the Red Bull model. Uh, Vivelle came in and I think he has a a big hand in identifying and maybe suggesting some of these names to the ownership group. Uh, yet they still have to scout them, you know, get them to come to the, the team. But uh, I think we're taking the right approach and this spending has to cool off guys. We can't just continue to spend 600 million in, in a year. Uh, and so that's where the scouting, like you're saying, Jackie, identifying talents around the world that can come in for 12, 13, 14 million. And all of a sudden, we're in a position where teams are coming and saying, we'll give you a hundred million for a player that you just got for 12. Um, so I think long-term that's the goal, but we also want to be successful in the short term. And that's where you do have to spend. Uh, and I want to come back to a point about rival fans, but with the scouting, I think we're taking the right approach. Uh, and that's what we should be looking to do. Maybe not next summer, but beyond that for the long term. Yeah, no, look, those are strong points. And I think, Overall, you've made a very valuable argument in if you're a Chelsea fan listening to this podcast and you are excited, we've spent 500 million, all the latest youth, greatest youth out there, and this is going to happen every single summer. I don't think that's the case. I could be completely wrong, but I've heard through a few sources that there is something called Project 2030, which is all of these guys are supposedly going to take us to 2030. Now, it means there will be some transfers here and there, you might spend $50 million one summer to replace an injured person, or you might get a really good player that's moved on to a different club and you have to replace that person. But spending $500, 600000000 over the course of true transfer windows, I don't think we'll see that. 
after this. I think this is for the long-term investment in Project 2030, and hopefully they can gel together and go together and stay fit, I think is the biggest key, and we'll kind of go from there. We can come back and talk about transfers, incoming, and new faces. Let's talk a little bit about outgoing and maybe spend a few minutes on Jorginho, J5. He is one of those players that splits Chelsea fans right down the middle, maybe a little heavier to one side or the other. He came in under the impression that he was Maurizio Sarri's favorite player, his son. He got a lot of stick for that. He kind of made the position his own under several managers. He was able to play many, many games for us. And honestly, he was quite successful at Europa League, Champions League, World Super Club Cup, Club Cup, and Super European Super Cup. So four or five different cups they were able to take in between he took Italy and, and was in the Euros, one of the top three in Ballon d'Or. I mean, the the plaudits go on and on and on. He leaves today for $10 million plus two in add-ons, depending on what that is. Alex, I'll come to you. You actually have defended Jorginho quite a bit, so you might be on the Chelsea fan side that actually was pro-Jorginho for a little bit, but your feelings overall on Jorginho? Yeah, I think uh, Jorginho is someone who I think is a little hard done by, by Chelsea fans and football fans in general. Um, I think we all know he's not the flashiest player. He's His goal the job isn't to score goals. It's not even really to get assists. Um, though with that said, there are pretty good compilations out there of potential Jorginho assists that were wasted by Chelsea attackers. Um, but I think he's the type of player that just usually goes under the radar. And although... A lot of people had very mixed feelings on him, and a lot of people didn't like when he started getting more attention and said he's overrated and he's not good. I think I very much enjoyed and found it quite refreshing that we were able to see a different type of player in Chelsea's midfield, bossing it on numerous occasions. I mean, yeah, he made mistakes. Many players do. But there were also some games that it was just a joy to watch how he just kept us ticking and completely dominated the game despite not being the most physical player or most direct exciting flashy player to watch so you know what i i i hesitate with this comparison because people will take it too far but in terms of in terms of underappreciation i see him almost as a sergio busquets type for us where obviously busquets having having won a lot more and, and undoubtedly the better player i think most would agree but he sort of was in the background as you had Xavi, Iniesta, Messi shining and taking the headlines. And in a similar way, I think Jorginho, being a very constant presence, was able to let some of our star attackers uh, take the headlines and let some of the younger players rise up through the ranks. Um, so I only ever saw really good vibes from him, even when he wasn't being favored or there were rumored uh, tensions with the manager. Um, so all I have to say is thank you for his service and hopefully he immediately stops producing as soon as he pulls on that Arsenal kit. (laughs) I hope so too. I think there's a funny joke about Arsenal players come to Chelsea to win trophies and Chelsea players go to Arsenal to retire. But the way Arsenal are right now, maybe it's Jorginho's chance to actually lift the Premier League with a different club. And look, I wish him all the best on on that front. But Rahul, I'll come to you on, on Jorginho I think he's one that I personally have given a lot of slack to just because he's not the flashiest player, like Alex said, or he's more safe, for lack of a better word, than more adventurous or going forward. And Alex compared him to Sergio Busquets. He reminded reminds me a little bit of John Obi Mikel, where he was kind of doing that defensive-ish duty or a little bit behind the scenes. But what happened is when Mikel Obi left, 
Chelsea fans started to notice we kind of missed someone in that position type. I'm not telling you Mikel Obi was the best at it, but he kind of did a good job with us for about 10 plus years. Give me your thoughts on Jorginho and will we miss him in the middle of the park? I think you both have, you know, brought up some great points about Jorginho. He definitely divided the fans. He definitely was one that was a scapegoat sometimes when results didn't go our way. Because as Chelsea fans, if you think about it, we're used to John Obi Mikel, Michael Essien, Michael Balak, uh, Makaleli, these types of like strong and like defensive, but, you know, box to box in Essien's case midfielders and then in comes Jorginho um, and then even right before him we had Matic and Conte in that midfield role uh, and Cesc Fabregas and then in comes Jorginho who's very different from those guys that I've mentioned uh, as Alex was saying a different midfielder a, a midfielder that when he first came in I think everyone was like my regista and you know uh, wanted to use all these fancy terms to describe what he does and listen in a in a team like ours, if we had the system and we had players around him like we did when Tuchel was manager in that first, you know, the run to the Champions League, Jorginho was the third best player in the world, guys. He was one that was shining, was able to control games, was able to help out defensively, help out with the attack, and just control the tempo of the game. So there definitely is a good player in there, and I think he suffered from the fact that we would change managers. He came with Sari, went to Lampard, went to Tuchel, went to uh, Potter. And each one of those guys wanted him to do something different. And it didn't help that he didn't have the pace because the Premier League is a lot more faster. And if you lose the ball further up, he's struggling. And I think that's where we would get frustrated is, well, why don't you try more? Why don't you like put in the tackle? Well, he couldn't. He couldn't keep up with the pace of the game. So I think going to Arsenal, playing with a Thomas Partey or Granit Xhaka, and playing in a system that benefits him more, I think he's going to do really well, and he's going to be a great signing for them. And it's going to be one that we look at and we say, well, David Luiz went there when he was 32, 33. William went there when he was about the same age, and we called them a retirement home. But I think in the case of Jorginho, it's going to be the opposite, and we're going to be like, like you said, Jackie, we're going to say, well, why don't we just hold on to him and, and not let him go to Arsenal so they, you know, didn't, didn't make an, a better case in the Premier League. So uh, I appreciate what he did for us. Yes, I wasn't his biggest fan, but I appreciate what he did for us and I wish him well. And hopefully, uh, like Alex said, Agent Jorginho comes out and, and prevents Arsenal from winning the, the Premier League. But uh, listen, he's he's going to be in a system that suits him and I think he's going to do well. No, look, I think all of us wish him well, at least if you're a true Chelsea fan and know that no matter what you felt about the individual overall, I think they always try and give the 100% when they come on that pitch. So wishing him well. I think I personally am I'm going to miss the hop, skip, and a jump because he was one of our best penalty takers. So. So, so who takes the penalties now? That's a great question. Alex, I'm going to pass it over to you first to, to give us your feedback on that one. On who takes the pens? Yeah. that's a, That is a tough one. You know, I could see... That is a very interesting one. The issue is we don't even have a starting lineup. <laughs> whoever's, on, whoever's on the pitch will take a pen. That could That's be a fair argument. players for every position. That's a very fair argument. Rahul, I'll come back to you there because you asked the question, so maybe you've got someone in mind that can step up there. 
I don't. I mean, like Alex said, we have so many options that it really depends on who's on the pitch. But I, I'm thinking maybe a Mason Mount because he seems to be playing consistently. But again, I, I honestly, I don't know. Maybe Kai Havertz. He scored in the Club World Cup. Um, so it's good. Yeah, it'll be definitely interesting. And I think I have a second part to that question. So Jorginho is vice captain. It seems like Aspilicueta will be moving on in the summer. Uh, real quick, your guys' thoughts on, on who ends up becoming vice captain at least now and then maybe becomes a captain in the summer. Yeah, I think I'll take that one first. I'll answer your penalty question before I move on. I actually looked this up when Jorginho left because I knew he was hop, skip, and a, and a jump champion here. I think it's going to come down to someone like Akai Havertz. I think he's got nine penalties taken, zero misses. Raheem Sterling, when he's fit, I think he's got six or seven penalties or eight penalties for City, and he's pretty good. Mason Mount, I think, is two or three, and he's had no misses either, so he's decent as well. And surprise, surprise, or maybe no surprise, Reese James is absolutely fantastic at penalties. So I think it just depends who's fit and when they're on the pitch to Alex's point, finding the perfect 11, and then you've got a few guys that can actually take it. As far as captain goes, I think by default, you're looking at maybe Thiago Silva. With everything that's going on right now, he is the most senior player, but also plays every single game, no matter what's going on around there. And second choice, I know Chelsea fans don't like to hear this lately, but Chelsea fans may have forgotten what he's done for us. Maybe Mason Mount can step into that vice-captaincy role if he's getting into that starting eleven. Alex, your thoughts on just the captaincy real quick? That's that's a tough one. I think Thiago Silva does come naturally if you're looking at Vice. I think if Reese James gets back on the pitch, he's got great leadership and ability. Um, though I will put in a little bit of a shout here, maybe maybe not a super popular one, if uh, Kepa holds his place between the sticks. He's been there through a lot. Goalkeepers tend to tend to be directing traffic. I And I, I think Kepa has a little bit of that fire in him. I, I watched him punching the ball back and forth like it was a beach ball to the <laughs> away fans that other time. You know, the, he's my he's my underdog shout right there for bringing a little bit of steel to that team. Yeah, yeah so Kepa wants the... to be player, manager, and captain as well. Yes, I was about <laughs> yeah. to be like, he, he, he'd be the first manager captain. <laughs> I like you it. Know, fantastic. I think that those are problems that have to be resolved as you see a couple of these Folks play week in, week out. That's wrapping up Jorginho. He will be a player that's always going to be in our history, but one that has hit a roadblock, and I'm not sure as of almost 10 p.m. here, Central Time, if this is happening, but uh, Hakim Ziyech had a transfer loan into PSG. Last we have heard is that all documents were agreed between Chelsea and PSG, but did not reach for registration in time. I don't know if that's going to change what's going to happen, if there's going to be appeal or not. But, Rahul, regardless of what happens, your overall thoughts, because I think if he's not going to leave now, at some point it looks like he's going to be one of those players that's going to be pushed out or probably will leave voluntarily in the summer, if not now. Uh, I definitely think he's one that will leave in the summer. I think he wanted to maybe even leave last summer. So it's it's... Long overdue, I, someone I would like to see stay because even in that Liverpool game, he was finding Mudrick with some delicious passes. Uh, and so I think he could strike up a good partnership. And we do need someone to serve all this talent that we have. And, and he has the ability to do that. So personally, I'd like him to stay. But I think his time may be up just because he would prefer a different challenge. And uh, you said we, we had the paperwork and everything signed. From what I'm reading, we sent the 
wrong paperwork three times. Again, don't I, I don't know how true that is, but I, we were clearly focused on the Enzo deal. Um, but come tomorrow, maybe Ziek will get his, his loan move after all, because I think PSG are going to appeal it. Yeah, let's see how that goes. Alex, will we miss him like Rahul is saying, or do you think it's a move that maybe benefits both parties at this point in time? I think it is a move that benefits both parties. And I'm not saying he isn't talented, but I think it's pretty clear that for the way Chelsea are trying to play, which is sort of fast, direct, I mean, we're getting these pacey signings who can dribble. We're not the type of team that I think, we, at least we don't want to be the type of team that's whipping in balls. And I think while Ziyech has great delivery on him, he's silky, he can pick out a good pass. He's just a bit of a different style of player than I think what, Graham Potter and what Chelsea need and are looking for. So as much as I appreciate his talent, and I think he's a fantastic super sub to have on the bench, um, just as soon let him move on and start letting these exciting new signings who we've picked up, the Madueke and Mudrick, and, and start letting these guys cook on the wings and see what they can do because they're the ones who are going to be here long term. Yeah, I think it's a valid point, and I think ultimately Chelsea's squad is so bloated, we we probably do another episode to figure out who we as fans would like to see leave, not because we don't like them, but maybe we're looking towards moving towards what Alex is saying, a much faster, free, free-flowing free type of football. But, guys, that's high level on the transfers. We can come back to that if you have any thoughts on that. But let's give a little bit of love to the Todd father, and Daddy Eggbad. So he, he's both of these guys, I think, deserve a lot of praise, at least from us Chelsea fans. And just to reiterate what you guys have said, I think going from an owner like Roman Abramovich, which I think everybody has stated, you would never find an owner like that in world sport anywhere, to the unknown with different people bidding for Chelsea. And you're worried about it. And you've seen what the Glazers, who are Americans, have done to Man United and Yes, they had some success with FSG, but you see how the, the spending has dried up there. And I don't think I could have anticipated what these two and clearly Capital have come in and invested in. I think they closed on Chelsea for close to 4.x billion pounds when they took over Chelsea. And now they've put six, seven hundred million back into it, close, closing in on a billion. Um, Alex, I'll come to you first. What do you have to say about these two owners? Are you pleased with the change? I, I think you will be. Do you think they're continuing on on where Roman Abramovich left off, or are they taking us a step further? You know, I, I am definitely pleased with them. I think it's difficult to argue with an owner who will come right in and show that level of backing. I mean, if I were a Liverpool fan, I'd be fuming, because even after what Klopp delivered um, <laughs> with a league title and a... Champions League title, I mean, you're now looking at Chelsea, Graham Potter, who, even if you think he's a great uh, great choice, I mean, he just came into this job, and he has now been backed probably just as much as Jurgen Klopp has been backed in his entire time at Liverpool. Um, so I think that just speaks to a level of respect that we have to give Chelsea's new owners and say, look, even if we've got questions about the long-term vision and we're still hoping to see that They've got, they've got different strategies that are going to work in the present, and we want to keep winning. We don't want to rebuild forever. You have to step back and give them some respect because they have clearly shown that they're not here to mess around. They're not here to milk Chelsea like a cash cow, like, say, a, a, a Glazer family might be doing. And 
they are they have acquired this club to for the purpose of winning games and raising our level on the pitch. So I I love to see it and I respect it because we really could not have asked for a better handoff given the difficult circumstances of Roman's departure. Yeah, I think you said it beautifully. Rahul, I'll pass it to you for the Todd father and then Daddy Baydad. I, I like these names that you've come up with. Um, look, Roman walks so these two could run. That's that's the best way I could put it because he wiped out the 1.5 billion in debt that we had. Uh, imagine if he didn't and all that money had to be put in to cover that debt. We wouldn't be here talking about Enzo and Mudrik. We'd be talking about we need to make sure we hold on to Ziak and Jorginho and those type those guys, right? So uh, a massive thank you to Roman again because he put in a lot of his own money to get us the success that we had in the 20 years uh, and then did another favor before leaving and, and wiped us clean of any debt so that we could come in and do these things. Uh, but for the new guys, I mean, from everyone that we were supposed supposedly going to be owned by, I think by far we ended up with the best of, of you know, that group. Uh, I'm thinking back to Ricketts and they were, I don't even know, I don't even want to get into that, but staying staying focused on, on Todd Bowley, Bedadik Bali and Clear Lake, uh, they've put their money where their mouth was and, and they came in and they said they wanted to make Chelsea successful. They wanted to continue where Roman left off. They've, I want to say they've, they've continued that, but times that by like 10 <laughs> uh, because even Roman never spent 600 million in 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 less than a year, so um, exciting times. But I think it's not just about the transfers. I think they're thinking way beyond into the future, uh, and that's what we want. We want to be a successful club. We want to be a club that we, uh, the teams and clubs and fans look around and say, you know what, they did spend the money, but they're in a position now that they're set for a long, long time beyond just buying players. Um, and so I look forward to that. And, and they had a great, great platform, again, from Roman, but they're building upon it very quickly. And uh, I think Chelsea is going to be a much bigger brand than they currently are. Yeah, and I think I want to repeat what I said earlier about Chelsea fans not expecting us to spend hundreds of millions of dollars every transfer window, because I think one thing I've noticed, and you guys may have as well, I think Todd Bowley has been seen regularly dialing into fan calls. He doesn't necessarily talk, but I think he's listening and hearing what fans are saying and what they're interested in. I don't necessarily want to believe it's a fan says, go get uh, Fernandez and he's going to go do that. I don't think that's what he's doing, but I think he's just gauging the temperature of how fans feel. And even if you don't see hundreds of millions in the next few transfer windows, I know there's plans to actually renovate Stamford Bridge and invest into the youth system and invest in the women's team. And so you may not see that money coming towards transfers necessarily, but you may see more seating for us to go sit at Stamford Bridge. You may see upgraded grounds where we can go have a better time and better events overall at Stamford Bridge. So I think, for one, they're doing everything that's right, so I just want to reiterate that. But two, I think they've exceeded expectations on what I thought any owner could do for Chelsea at this point in time. For a lot of us, Chelsea is our bread and butter, and so waking up early morning, I think I say this week in, week out, and watching us lose is painful, but they're putting in the foundation and the building blocks so that when we do have to wake up here in the United States and watch them, it's not going to be for nothing. It's going to be for a lot of fun. But I think that wraps up a lot of the transfers, guys. I want to talk a little bit about your overall score of the transfer window. So it's very interesting, I think, on a scale of 1 to 10, 
and this is very difficult to do, how would you rate this transfer window? Of course, 10 being the highest and zero being the lowest. How would you rate this transfer window and why are you giving it that rating? So Alex, I'll come to you on that on that front first. Man, I mean, I feel like you can't really, there are so many people at clubs. I think just about any club in the world would, would kill to have the transfer window that Chelsea has had. I think with respect to the pricing, maybe we could have saved a bit of money on some of these players, but that's the unfortunate reality of when you're serious and you put your money where your mouth is. Clubs know they can upcharge you because if you want a player, you will get them. So considering it's the second window under new owners, I'd give us a 10 out of 10 for this window. Um, And I'd say just to be slightly pragmatic, maybe I'd personally say a nine out of 10 because we did splash some big, big money that could work well, but also carry some risks if these young players don't turn out. But who am I to, who am I to to complain about the window we've just had? So maybe nine and a half average those. And I'm giving us a nine and a half. Yeah, no, I think I have to agree with you on that rating. Rahul, I'll come to you before I give my final verdict on that. In, in a tribute to Jorginho's new number at Arsenal, I'm going to go for a 20 out of 10. Um, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Um, I, I tend to agree with Alex. I think it's easy to say, you know, 10 out of 10, 11 out of 10, whatever you want to call it. But um, we have spent big money, and it's money that usually you don't end up spending in January. Um, so trying to be a little, you know, just a little skeptical there and say it's it's been a great window. Look, it's been a record-breaking window. I think no one spent this much ever in a January. So we've got to be happy with that. But now these players have got to work. They've got to show us what they can do. And uh, I think at that point we can say, looking back and say it was a 10 out of 10 or you know yeah. 9 out of 10. But at this point, I'll go with Alex's score as well. Yeah, you guys have actually summarized it really well. So I don't know what more to add. But 9 on 10, I think it's just learning how to be a little more ruthless in the market or maybe push that transfer to summer because I doubt a lot of other clubs would step up to pay the full 120 at that point in time. But look, if it's successful, Chelsea fans will tell me to eat humble pie. It's going to be fantastic for the next 8, 10 years. So who am I to complain? Just before we move on, because I want to talk about Fulham as a, as a quick preview, I want to talk about Graham Potter. Just a quick word, Rahul, I'll stick with you. A lot of Chelsea fans, again, Graham Potter splits them down the middle. He's been given the toys, dare I say, to be fully successful. This season, while I think it's it's a little bit difficult to get into Champions League places, do you think next season is the season we expect most from him? Uh, absolutely. I think next season with the summer, preseason, with players that he's obviously been you know briefed on and, and asked about, and he's obviously given his opinion uh, that have come in, I think he's... He, the expectations are going to be a lot higher next season. Uh, but not to say that we can't do something this season too. So I'm going to leave it at that. But I, I do expect a, a better turnout for the next few months. And hopefully we can get into that top four, or at least top five. Uh, and, and next season we can push on from there. Alex, do you think we can make top four this season? Or do you think we need to go for the Champions League to squeeze in back into Champions League spots? <laughs> You know, that would be quite the way to do it. Um, and I can't imagine it would be absolutely brilliant to finish outside the top four and still get in on that technicality. Um, I'm not too concerned with the results for the rest of the season. I don't really care, to be honest. I say develop these players, get them playing 
at their best. Get them go- turning up and, and scoring goals and looking confident. I don't care what the results are. As long as we don't get relegated this season and we and our our players start to look like they're coming together, um, we're getting maybe fewer injuries, we're getting a healthier squad, then I want a major trophy next season or Potter's out the door. You heard it here first. Potter will be gone if we don't win a trophy next season. But I tend to agree with you, Alex. I think this season is going to be tough. And so as long as we put in the effort and we try to see some sort of growth where Chelsea players are playing well and working towards those results, I think next season is where we can really start to judge Graham Potter overall. But let's talk a little bit about Fulham. I think we've covered a lot of transfer news, a lot of appreciation for our owners. Rahul, I want to come back to you and start there. How do you even pick a starting 11 for Fulham? Well, I think the keeper picks himself because Mendy's still injured. I think I heard Reese James should be back, but I wouldn't rush him back. So I think we continue with Chaloba. We continue with Thiago Silva. We've had a two-week break. Um, Badishile and Kukurea or Lewis Hall. Um, and then midfield was where I would, I think I'll need some help because I know Enzo is going to be in, but do you, do you throw him in? Do you play someone else? And I don't know who that someone else is, Connor Gallagher, maybe. Uh, but then there's one more position. So, um, I'll leave that open for debate for you two. And then I think if we're playing a back four, uh, front three would kind of be, Mudrik, I would love to see, give him his home debut. Uh, Kai Havertz, I think, will play up top. Maybe Mason Mount behind him. And then not sure who plays on the right. Maybe Madueke. But I don't know. Let's let's talk about it. And it, and it might be Hakim Ziyech if Hakim Ziyech is not gone on loan <laughs> as well. But let's come back to the middle because we can spend a minute or two discussing this player. It's very important to discuss him. Alex Connor Gallagher is a player that also splits Chelsea fans for some reason. And I personally don't always understand that. Rahul has done a great job of defending him. He has been with the club since he's been seven or eight. Chelsea boy through and through. He has had very good loan spells, I must say, at West Brom and Crystal Palace, respectively. Whenever he comes on, he's played a multitude of positions for Chelsea, but in my opinion, he gives 150% every time he's on that pitch. Maybe sometimes too much percentage because he's got into trouble, but Conor Gallagher, is he one? We had bids from Everton and Newcastle respectively for him, and they were good amounts of money, I think close to $15 million. Is he one that you value in this Chelsea squad? Is he one that you would keep? And then ultimately, is he one that you would start on, on the Fulham game? Yeah, I think he's the type of player that gives us that edge, like you were saying. He does give 150%. I feel like he brings a level of intensity that not every player does and not every player can, just in terms of pure physical levels. Um I think he is the type that, look, he we've turned down some bids. Let's show them why we turned down some bids. Give him some faith. Give him a start. Um, because he has impressed on a few occasions. Now, maybe there have been times he hasn't been quite at the level we know he can achieve. But for me, it's a no-brainer, especially as you're bringing in all these new flashy young signings from across the world. You've got to keep some of these guys who are just Chelsea to the core. Um, and as you were mentioning uh coming from the Chelsea Academy, you just have a different understanding of and love for the club that I think is good to keep around. So let's try to keep meshing that in and not not sell our players too easily. Though I will say it's a good sign that we got a good bid for him because that would have had, I trust Todd, I trust Graham Potter, 
I trust them all to have done the calculations and the tactics and the do we want him and where or would the money be more useful to us. But if we were in a situation where it turned out that the money was more useful to us, that's a good sum. And I think a sale like that would have been an undoubted success story of Chelsea's lone army as opposed to the many stories we hear about players whose potential we've wasted because we gave him some good experience. He showed some potential. He produced pretty well for us, and then he gets maybe a nice big money move. You'd look at that and say that was a pretty good use of our academy and system. So I'm inclined to give him time, let him stay, but I'm encouraged that we got such quality bids for him. Great, and I think that means he will start in that pivot or one of the defensive midfielders. So Rahul, I'll come to you because I think the – 120 million euro question is, is it going to be Enzo that makes his debut alongside or will he play it safe with Kovacic probably? I think Kovacic has enough, doesn't he? I'm not sure. And so that might make it 120 million euro question (laughs) at this point. Yeah, I I think he does. And obviously Conte is still out, Zakaria is still out. Um, So the thought was if Enzo didn't come in, we were going to get a pivot of Mount and Gallagher. (laughs) Um, But yeah, Enzo is in and so... I think he he gets thrown in, and and that's as long as he doesn't pick up a red card like his buddy Joe Felix, I'll be okay. All right, so we're going to see a debut, hopefully, according to the Premier Chelsea, and that's going to be exciting. Uh, Front three, I think we've discussed all of it except the right wing, so maybe let's debate that for a quick second. Rahul, are you going to stick with Madueke making his debut? Are you going to try and throw somebody else, maybe a younger player, on there? I'm not sure what you go with here. Yeah, it, it's funny because we have so much talent that we actually yep. can't think of who is actually going to play there. Uh, but I definitely think Ziek won't feature even if he ends up staying. Um, it's just mentally, do I don't think he'll Obama be Obama Yang maybe ready. up top and slide Mason Mount outright? Can you do maybe uh, Fofana and maybe have him play behind a striker or something like that? Yeah, I, I think we're going to have to get creative with... Uh, you know, who plays on the right and then down the middle and Aubameyang starts, maybe Kai plays behind him. Uh, but I definitely think may- maybe Mason might have to slide over um, over to the right. But I'll, I'll let me look at our squad list <laughs> um, and try to see who, who plays. But I think Mason would be a good shot. So I'll come back to you. You look at that squad list. But Alex, in the meantime, all the new signings, a lot of buzz. We've had a little bit of break. What's the score prediction from you? Oh, uh, I mean, it's a tough one. I want to, I want to predict a win. I refuse to predict anything less than a win here. Um, and I think hopefully we get a pretty convincing one because I think we have that. I think we have that in the locker. Um, yeah, we haven't been amazing, but at the end of the day, we're a team that has the quality to pull out in front. And I think even though Fulham are technically above us in the table. So we're, uh, we're, we're punching above our weight uh, in terms of the Premier League standings. I think this is a game that we should win based on quality alone. Uh, it's at home. We've got these exciting new signings. I think it's got to be a win, and I'm going 3-1. That's going to be ex- an exciting game if that happens because I would kill to see that. Rahul, I'm going to come to you and see if you've changed your mind on who's playing on the right. But, you know, Stamford Bridge should be buzzing. I think it's been a little flat lately, and we've all seen that just because of everything that's going around, but should be buzzing, should be exciting to see some of these young men playing and running around the pitch. I mean, the record transfer for, for a midfielder or for the Premier League record transfer alone would get us buzzing. What's your thoughts on that right wing, and then what's your scoreline prediction? 
I'm going to go back to to Nani Medueke because he is a natural natural winger, and so let's let's put him in there. Let's see what he can do. Uh, and a home debut isn't a good isn't a bad way to get a younger player into the squad. Um, and then obviously, if things don't work out, we have Joao Felix and and players coming back for the next one. So I'm going to go with him. Uh, and my score prediction: I think we definitely need to win this if we want to start our push for that top four, closing the gap. Uh, so I'm going to go for a 1-0. I think that's a, a good result nonetheless. Not maybe as exciting as what Alex has said, but we're trying to get the wins and take baby steps here. I'm going to go for a 3-0. I think we're going to have the opportunity to score some goals and keep a clean sheet. Maybe I'll be back here next week complaining that we didn't do that, but for now, <laughs> positivity is where I want to stay. So before we wrap up, Rahul, I'll pass it back to you and Alex for closing words. Alex, I'll start with you there. Yeah, well, hopefully, hopefully this is the beginning of, beginning of a new era. Um, I think I think we're in for an exciting time. We've uh, we've let Todd cook, and Todd has come back with some fantastic meals. So now I hope we can feast. I hope we can feast, indeed. Rahul, are you ready to feast as well? I, I, I'm ready to feast. I'm ready to see us. Uh, be hated by everyone because that's what I'm hearing. And, and when Chelsea is hated by everyone is when we do our best. So bring it on. And um, I have a quick question for you before we wrap it up. And I know we're, we're trying to close it out, but we can only register three of these new players that we've brought for the Champions League. Uh, my opinion, I'm going to go with Mudrik, Enzo, obviously, and Jao Felix. But I'd, if you two have any different ideas, I definitely want to hear them before we close it out. Jackie. That's really, really tough because I think Badia Shiel has made an incredible difference to this team. However, I think with him being, with no disrespect, maybe the lower profile of the players that we brought in, I have to agree with you. I think Mudrik, Jao Felix, and then uh, Enzo will be the ones that come in because they will help attacking-wise while we have some of the defensive talent helping us. And Alex, are you, are you in agreement with that or do you think someone else deserves to be in there? I'm in agreement there. I think I think you know the time has come to just trust what we've got and and put the players out on the pitch that we think are are smartest and and let them cook. No no easing into the fire here. This is do or die. We need to turn this around. Awesome. Well, that wraps it up, guys. It's been great to have Alex back. Hopefully, he'll. Uh, he'll continue to join us uh, for the rest of the season, but I know he's a he's a very busy man. He's cooking like Boley uh, on 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 the sidelines. But uh, that wraps it up, guys. Thank you very much for joining us. Please continue to subscribe, like, and follow us. It's at the Premier Chelsea on all major podcast providers: YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, and we will be back with a new episode. But until then, stay safe and up the Chelsea. Hey guys, the Premier Chels is sponsored by Kickoff Coffee. They are a top quality artisanal roasted coffee. In other words, they're Champions League winner and Premier League winner every single time. They deliver fresh bags directly to your home, so you don't have to go to a coffee shop and pick up something. And the best part about them is every bag gives back to soccer charities. 10% of the proceeds go to organizations that use soccer to promote youth social development in the underserved areas. Use our code TPCOFFEE15 to get 15% off your order. You can order at kickoffcoffeeco.com or check out the links on our social media. Thanks.